I'm just going to say it. One of the best things about being on from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Thursday nights is that there's always something we're getting you ready for. And tonight is a stacked night for the NFL and for Major League Baseball. Spade and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our callers join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and you can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. You can call us. You can tweet us. You can hang out with us. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. College football is heating up, and fans are hyped. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Tonight, fans get not one, not two. They get multiple things that they deserve because we got a stacked night, and we're going to take you. It's a short show. It's an hour and a half show, but a little is better than nothing at all as we finally get to hang out uh, for two straight nights and get you caught up on everything you need to know ahead of Thursday night football and, of course, a Major League Baseball baseball playoff matchup you do not want to miss. But, Sarah, we will start with the Thursday night football matchup. And, look, it's just the – it feels like the biweekly Buccaneers primetime game. Like, there's just going to be one every couple of weeks, and this is the opportunity on Thursday night to see Tom Brady and whatever this version of his thumb may be as he is uh, battling a little injury, taking on a Philadelphia Eagles team that some weeks looks like they're competent and some weeks looks like they're completely overmatched. Completely agree. By the way, I showed excellent restraint not commenting on sometimes a little is better than nothing. I don't think that's always the case, but we can get into that another time. Uh, God, I hope it's the case. Tom Brady's thumb. Because, yeah, it it feels like we could find out after the fact that it's more of a factor now that it's, you know, had some time to either swell up or to get worse. But um, Tom Krasinski of of Ronnie and and T. Cross was on Canty and Golic Jr. talking about that thumb and how, honestly, you know, he did enough after the injury that it probably shouldn't be a big deal tonight. There's some soreness there. I think it's something that bears watching. If you see Brady come out and wearing some protective padding on that thumb, then that's something that bears watching. He banged it on the helmet, but it took place with like two minutes left to go in the second quarter, and he still went on to throw a couple more touchdowns after that on his way to throwing five touchdowns at over 400 yards against Miami. So I think it's an issue, but I don't think it's a big concern right now for the Bucks. It's uh, Tom Krasnigi. I, I misread that. The font on my screen is a uh, for twenty year olds, and I'm I'm getting so old. Apparently, I need a micro microscope. Is that what I'm magnifying glass? Magnifying anyway, glass. Anyway, uh, yeah, we're, worth noting that Tom Brady. To if you if you remember, Tom Brady played the entire season last year with a torn uh, MCL in his knee. So I, I don't think I'm going to assume anything serious is going to it, slow him down tonight against the Eagles. I think the biggest issue for the Eagles is how do you play against a team that uh, has a quarterback who, despite his 44 years on this earth, is getting the ball off faster than ever, is able to dink and dunk down the field if that's what you give him, but also leads the team that has the most pass plays of 20-plus yards in the league, right? Yep. I mean, whatever you think about this Bucks offense, uh, they can do the opposite, too, if that's what you give them. And, and that's why I think this is going to be a game that's entirely dependent on the Eagles deciding that their offense needs to be aggressive. It might be the opposite what you imagine. You might say ball control, time of possession. I just don't think that's going to work against a Bucks team that has the number one rushing defense in the NFL. You need to take advantage of their only potential weakness, which is the secondary, and that means you need Jalen Hurts to, you know, do some designed QB runs to keep them on their edge, and you need to light up the secondary. Yeah, I think this is one of those games where Jalen Hurts has to really step out and, and, and play at an incredibly high level. By the way, aggressive is the way I would describe what Coach Nick Sirianni 
uh, was wearing. I don't know if you saw this before the game, <laughs> walking not. the sideline. He was walking around in like one of those short sleeve, like Sixers, Julius Irving, like hoodie sort of things. I don't know what we're doing here. Like, are we pandering to the fan base? Like, are we going out there and getting the Philly fans excited by wearing old school Sixers stuff? I don't know what really what that, but it, 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 it's a little curious. It's just a little different. I'm saying he's he's got a, his own little vibe. And in the meantime, with vibe. Yeah. No, it's it's. It's a regrettable look, I think. You know, oh, I'm not wow. really. Uh, yeah. It doesn't look super age appropriate. I'm not saying that he's old. I just feel like for the position that he's in, okay, he's got a Sixers jersey shirt, and whoever he's with has a t shirt that says, Win Rocky Win in quotation marks for Rocky with some yeah. torn up denim. Yeah, they look like they're about to hit up the club. Yeah, I don't know. They look like they're about to hit up a bad episode of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. No, you know what? Not the club. It looks like they're about to go to the batting cages. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They look like they're headed to the batting cages. Uh, In the meantime, the real question is, what are the Bucs going to do to stop Jalen Hurts? Because that's the only real shot. uh, That the Eagles are going to have to win this game. And again, uh, this was Tom, and this is what Tom said about it. Well, Chris, you just touched on it. The guy likes to get outside of the pocket. When he does so, he becomes very dangerous. So... I think the Buccaneer plan is to keep him in the pocket, make him win from the pocket, and when he gets outside of the pocket, watch for Devin White to be kind of like his spy, to follow him wherever he goes. Devin White, obviously a tremendous inside linebacker, a lot of speed too. I think he's going to be the spy for Jalen Hurts when he decides to leave that pocket. That's Tom Krasnicki from Ronnie and T. Crest, which you can hear on 620 WDAE. And that's earlier with Kikanti and Golik Jr. I just wanted to prove I could read all that. So yeah, that that's was really impressive. The only reason. Thank uh, you so again, much. Again, the sir. font was too small for me to get that all out earlier. I squinted my way through half of it. Uh, I do think that there will be games this season that people will use probably as uh, massive points to, to, to direct to when they think that Jalen Hurts is either the guy or not the guy for the future. I think he only has 10 Starts in the NFL. This is basically similar to a rookie season for him. Um, and so I don't I don't think I'm quite ready to make those proclamations yet. But I feel like this game, with all eyes on him, Thursday night football against the Bucks will be one that people will point to, fairly or not, to help decide whether they believe in him. Yeah, and I, I do preach a little patience. To your point, 10 starts and now an entirely new system and a new offense and all of these things that make it difficult for the growth for a quarterback. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. You can say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Uh, the other big matchup, obviously, tonight that you're going to be able to hear right here on ESPN Radio is uh, in the Major League Baseball world. It's a playoff matchup between the Giants and the Dodgers. And, Sarah, I think we can all agree that every single expert's trying to figure out how to, to, to judge which team is better when you have two teams that are so evenly matched. I have no idea what to expect from this game other than it's going to be spectacular. We should enjoy it. And whoever wins is going to be a heavy favorite for the World Series. I agree with all of that, and I love the fact that in talking to some of the experts in baseball, especially of late, they've sort of just admitted you can't predict it. Uh, You know, whenever I'm on Around the Horn, we get a baseball topic, and it's who you got and why. I always say, listen, if I have to, I guess I'll go off of, you know, starting pitcher ERA or whose bats have been hot or whose, you know, bullpen is deeper. But I'm almost always wrong, and so are the experts, because can't predict baseball. And this one, more so than any of the matchups we've seen thus far, even some of those wild card last-minute games down the stretch of the regular season, has been the, the hardest to predict. They each are at 109 wins on the season, including postseason. 
Uh, this was a back-and-forth battle for the division. And while we may feel in our gut that the Dodgers are a better team because they're an all-star squad, literally made up of multiple Cy Young winners and MVPs and everything else, and they're coming off a win last season, at this point, I think there are a lot fewer people underselling the Giants than at any point in the season. And now it feels like a toss-up. Who's going to get lucky? Will it be wind affecting the game? Will it be a crazy defensive play? Will it be some young player with a hot bat? Uh, I'm I'm expecting pretty much anything tonight. Yeah, the one thing I know is that Vegas is sitting around just hoping the Dodgers find a way to win this game because uh, the losses they'll be taking if somehow the Giants find their way to a World Series win are catastrophic. Mm. So Vegas is out there saying, hey, go, let's go Dodgers all day, <laughs> every day. Again, you can hear all of that action right here on ESPN Radio coming up after Spain and Fitz. Again, we're only an hour and a half tonight, so we'll get you all the way up there. In the meantime, you're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Here's Tarasi around the grinder screen. You bet. Yeah, Diana Taurasi was absolutely a killer queen last night. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and we're going to get straight to some straight talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Sarah, I thought you were going to die last night. I mean, that's it. I was reading, <laughs> reading your tweets, and I, I don't know what was better, the incredible Ugh. game or the incredible social media. There is a, a vibe to WNBA action that's that's firing on all cylinders and the way it is received on Twitter particularly that I rarely feel. You know, everybody knows I tweet a lot during Raiders games, but there's not like this huge community doing it. When the WNBA is giving us a great game, the amount of people that are tweeting about it with genuine raw reaction is part of the fun. And last night, I know the the outcome wasn't what you wanted, but my god, the genuine raw reaction was a delight to watch from the uh, from a distance. I believe it was the most watched game uh, since 2013 or something. Um, it was, like you said, it was a vibe. And there were a lot of milestones. Brittany Griner, first dunk in finals history. Uh, Courtney Vandersloot had the second most assists in a WNBA finals game. Uh, Skylar Tickets had the third most, both in the same in the same game. Courtney Vandersloot tied a single-game finals record for steals. Candace Parker had a 500th rebound. Candace Parker had her 1,000th career point. In the playoffs, I mean, it was back and forth, back and forth. And early on, I was a little bit worried because this was a game that I knew was going to be a lot closer than game one. The Mercury were coming off such a quick turnaround after that decisive game in the semis that they were just not all together there in game one. They also got back Sophie Cunningham, who was huge, not just in terms of her shooting, but she is a is a fighter and a beast, and she will get under your skin. She was going back and forth with Kali Copper. That's not going to be over after this game, I anticipate. They come right back to this uh, game three on Friday, uh, ready to fight from the start. And and it was Brittany Griner. I mean, Dinah Tarazi had some clutch shots and, and looked like the killer that she is. But Griner, 29 points, nine rebounds. Uh, she was just too much. And in game one, they had a lot better time of using a couple different bodies to slow her down. They just couldn't do it this time. I don't know if it's that she was feeling better after a little bit more rest. I don't know if they just didn't put the right mix of people on her this time. Um, but uh, this was the Mercury's game, and it was almost the Sky's game. Courtney Vandersloot, with seconds left, driving in amongst the trees and flipping it around a six foot nine BG was unbelievable, holding it down for the point guards. But unfortunately, uh, Tarasi outscored the Sky in overtime, and that was it. Yeah, you mentioned Griner and the fires came out. She scored the first 10 points for the Mercury. And mm-hmm. I, I keep thinking about 
that fire. And this is what we expect in most playoff series, right? Like you're going to have to take a barrage of punches at the beginning and see if you can survive it. The one thing that as I was watching really hit me was that it felt like the sky did survive it. You know, like there was this moment where early on, I thought the Mercury might run away with the game because they just had so much intensity and the sky matched them. So I think there's got to be some level. Like, there's no such thing as moral victories. I understand that. But if you're Chicago, you just took the biggest, hardest, most mm-hmm. chaotic punch that they can offer, and you stood in the ring for the entirety of it. So it, it made me walk away thinking, man, this series is going to just be back and forth because that, that was every – it felt like every ounce of turbo button that the Mercury had left to play in that game, and it still took every minute of that to win. Completely agree, and the Sky have the benefit of coming back home for games three and four. I'm bummed. I've got tickets to to tomorrow night, and I was hoping they could clinch and win the title in that game. They'll have to try to do it on Sunday because they sure don't want to go back to Phoenix for an all-important game five, especially with the kind of support. Um, There was a a Suns. I'm going to be in San Diego for the ESPNW Summit. Yeah, I got to fly out, so I can't go. So I was hoping to see it. In person, unfortunately, I won't be able to. I'll have to be watching it from San Diego. But um, if they go back to Phoenix, you saw last night, both the Blazers and the Suns stayed after their preseason game to sit courtside. And while it felt like the Blazers were more neutral, Diana Taurasi had, you know, CP3 and Book and everybody's sidelines going crazy every time she hit. And that that that's the kind of support we don't want to send them back for a winner-take-all game at home. So we got to do it in the next two. Well, and there's no reason to a to think like it just feels like they're on a magical run, and that happens for so. some teams when they get yeah. into the playoffs. And really, you know, I think we should just move the entire women's summit back a day so that right you can, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just here making plans and influencing people. That's what I do. <laughs> Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, that's some straight talk, uh, straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. We also got some talk. I don't know that I'll necessarily call it straight talk. We got some roundabout talk from Kyrie as all eyes continue to be on what his decision will be and why he's making the decisions he's making when it comes to the concept of vaccination. And I think the why is important here. Also, I will echo a sentiment that I heard today on Barton Han earlier, uh, earlier today, where essentially Han was saying, Hey, listen to what's actually being said, not what you want to hear, but what's actually being said. And when you listen to what's actually being said, by Kyrie, it gets a little confusing. This is a portion of his Instagram rant where he is essentially asking all of us why we're constantly talking about him. Why are you putting it on me? You know, like this, this is not part of, uh, you know, what's going on in conversations with scientists, physicians, and doctors. I'm, I'm just a hooper, right? Like I'm, I'm just a person uh, who, who's being utilized as, as an example. For some odd reason, you know, people love to have my name in a mix of just some BS. <laughs> like, just hearing the way people speak so con, you know, with so much conviction about what I should be doing with my life and and what you know my teammates should be feeling about me, what the organization be feeling about me. Right. This can't be a genuine just you know shock, right? I mean, you you come out, you act like you're smarter than everybody. You want to debate that the Earth is flat. You want to go against epidemiologists, doctors, public health experts, all those people, and take a stand. You argue that you are giving a voice to the voiceless while simultaneously asking why people are asking for your opinion or or putting it on you. 
Stop saying respect my personal choice. This is a personal matter while simultaneously acting like you're holding it down for a whole bunch of people. Because again, if you actually knew the statistics behind it, you would realize there are far more people dying, hospitalized, gravely ill, facing potentially lifetimes of debilitating effects from this disease than there are people who are losing out on jobs because of vaccine mandates at their workplace. You are picking a dumb, meaningless battle and standing up for people who will in no way benefit from your decision to stand up for them. And what he said last night was a bunch of word salad. And that's what it always is from him. He takes some strong stands on some things that are meaningful to him, and I appreciate that. But in this case, he is just confusing having his own opinion with having an intelligent opinion. And honestly, it's freaking exhausting. Again, this is a guy who I think Howard Bryant said it right. He is a contrarian without a cause. He wants to be different and fight with everyone and then ask, why are you looking at me? Why are you talking about me? Why are you putting it on me? I think ultimately, Sarah, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz. Uh, I, I think when he says at the end, you know, why is everybody talking about my team supposed to feel some sort of way? How can the team not feel right. some sort of way? And it, at some point, how can the team not be looking at it and saying, okay, well, we need to figure out what's going to work for us as an organization, which then means when you're talking about a player making a decision with an NBA franchise that's in the championship conversation, that means all of us are going to look at it and say, okay, what does this mean above and beyond everything else? Like this is a conversation point because of what he does for a living, who he plays for and the impact that it has to sports. I mean, above and beyond everything else, if he's not sure why we're talking about it, I guess I would ask, how can I not talk about it if a star player from a team that's trying to compete for a championship decides that he's not going to make himself available for whatever his personal reason is? And whatever that personal reason is, we're going to constantly talk about because that's our jobs. Well, and he wants the attention and the focus on the causes that he cares about that he brings rightful attention to, but he wants to act like he's not doing the same here. It's it's just incredibly frustrating. Yeah, and and we're not going to stop talking about it because ultimately this is going to impact not just him. This impacts all of his teammates. This impacts the entire league. It impacts all of us. All right, coming up, we've got an elimination game tonight. We'll get you ready for it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're brought to you by Goodyear, making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear, more driven. We're joined now in the Goodyear Hotline bar by our baseball favorite, Tim Kirkshen, who's getting us ready for a big, all-important Game 5 between the Giants and the Dodgers. The only thing on the calendar, so all of baseball's eyes, will be focused on a game that already starts with some chicanery, some hijinks, some strategery. Tim, what do you make of the Dodgers sending out a reliever to start as a, a presumably the opener for their real starter? Well... I'm not surprised by anything anymore. And it, <laughs> it, it just doesn't make sense on the surface. you got Julio Urias, who is the only 20-game winner in the major leagues this year. The Dodgers have won each of his last 12 starts. He was arguably their best pitcher in the postseason last year as a starter and a reliever. His last seven road starts, he's got a 172 ERA, but he's not going to start the game. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and yet... Corey Knebel is a very good relief pitcher. He's done this four times. He did it September 4th against the Giants. So they know how this works. And, again, being steeped in analytics, both of these teams, they looked at this a 100 different ways and said, it's better to start 
a reliever here and then bring Urias into the game. Again, this, I'm 64 years old. This, this kind of uh, confuses me on several levels. But if they think it's going to work and it does work, great. The only danger is if it doesn't work and the Dodgers end up losing, we're going to hear a lot about this as we move forward. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, you mentioned, Tim, the, the analytics portion of it. I mean, how much does that really drive the way pitchers are being approached in this series? Well, analytics drive all sorts of approaches, and not just for the Dodgers and Giants, for the Rays, as we saw last year, and for most teams. You know, we, we've kind of stopped watching the games to some degree, and we're, we're letting the analytics decide that this is the best thing we should do. And sometimes I wonder and I worry, you know, are you watching the game here? Because if you're watching the game, you can't take this guy out, or you got to take this guy out, whatever it is. So this is the era in which we're in, and it seems to work for a lot of teams. But on nights like this, it does make you scratch your head. But to repeat, this is not the first time the Dodgers have done this, and it's not the last time they're going to do it. Tim Kirkchen is with us here on Spain and Fitz ahead of Giants-Dodgers tonight. Both teams 109 games on the season, including the postseason. It doesn't get any closer than this. Tim, we talked to Alden Gonzalez last night, and he could not find a definitive favorite in this game whether it be a manager more ready for this or players or pitchers that he was more certain of I know you've admitted that you can't predict baseball but do you come in feeling confident in either of these sides no they they, they <laughs> both got 109 wins the run differential against each other this year is like two runs you can't get any closer than these two teams. So I'm going to attempt to do something here. All right, Logan Webb has been one of the best starting pitchers in baseball the second half of the year, but maybe they saw something in game one which would give maybe the Dodgers a bit of an edge. And Logan Webb has never pitched a game this big. Then again, he'd never pitched a game as big as game one in this series, (laughs) and he was absolutely tremendous. So I don't think there's an advantage there. Again, Urias has pitched in a lot of big games. You know, when he was 16 years old growing up in Mexico, he had people telling him, you're ready to pitch in the major leagues now. So he's had a lot of expectations on him. And the other way to look at Urias is he's he's a hybrid pitcher. I mean, he pitched in relief in the, the World Series last year. He got the final out of the World Series. So if anyone can handle an opener situation, it's him. I just don't see too many differences between these two teams, and that's why they essentially have the same record and the same run differential. So give me your thoughts on, like, we always talk about pressure, right, Tim? And so, like, you've got all the pressure of the Dodgers that constantly feel like as an organization they're under pressure, but they just won a World Series. Like, is there does, does pressure versus experience make any sort of difference in your mind in this this type of matchup? Um, well, I think there's a little pressure on both teams. I mean, the Giants can always play the card. We're not supposed to be here. No one picked us. The whole, <laughs> you know, that that whole thing. But I think when you win this many games and you get knocked out potentially in the first round, there's certainly some pressure there. I think the Dodgers still have some pressure because of the payroll that they have and the moves they made at the trade deadline. They were made the prohibitive favorite, as they probably should have been. So there's pressure there. Both teams have some experienced players. I mean, Longoria and Posey and Bryant, those guys have all played in the postseason a lot. 
So I, I don't think they're going to be, you know, inexperienced or anything else. I just think this is such a closely matched series, and this game tonight is a pick 'em in every way. Yeah, the only potential for me that would swing it is the home field for the Giants, a place that was really rocking earlier in the series. I think Tim Kuhn said you could feel it in your fillings when they were yelling "Beat LA" shoulder to shoulder in that in that ballpark. Uh, does just in baseball, you don't have you don't just have home field advantage, but you you get to bat last. How much could that be the difference here if we're talking about a, a series this tight? Well, they've been great at home. There's no way around that. The Giants they're 38 and four when they score first mm. at home. That's pretty darn good. So if they get a couple early against Canaveral or or Urias, that suggests they're going to win this game. But but who knows? And that you know that's going to be a a relatively cold park tonight, and the wind usually blows there. Not like it blew in L.A. the other day. But, yeah, that, that's a really raucous crowd. It's a tremendous environment. But I just think the Dodgers have played enough huge games. I mean, their last five elimination games, they've won them all. They've been in some real pressurized situations. So I'm just not sure they're going to be spooked in any way by playing in a really difficult place to play. At the end of the day, the winner of this series, which team do you think has a better shot of winning the World Series? Well, I think they're both going to be the favorite. Either one will be the favorite to win the World Series. But I just keep going back to that Dodger pitching staff. Their batting average against this year was 207. That is the second lowest batting average against of any team, any pitching staff, in the history of baseball, only the 68 Indians at 206, 68 being the year of the pitcher, ever had a lower batting average against, meaning it's really difficult to square up these Dodger pitchers no matter which one they're bringing in. Urias, pretty close to the top of that list. So uh, that, that would be the small advantage to me is the depth in the pitching of the Dodgers. But the Giants pitching has been great. This is, this is going to be so good. I can't wait. Tim, you've got us about as ready as we can get for this game, which is going to be covered right here on ESPN Radio after our show ends early tonight, 8.30 Eastern is when the coverage begins. Before I let you go, I have to ask about the Cards' decision to fire Mike Schilt. I mean, this is a guy, I think, three straight playoff berths. Were you surprised? I was. And the guys who cover the team every day, every day, the beat guys were surprised from what I could tell. And I just didn't see this coming. When you make the playoffs and you win 17 games in a row in September, but obviously John Mazalock said, you know, we have a difference in opinions on things. You know, the Cardinal way is a certain way. It's possible mm -hmm. Mike Schilt didn't always believe in that, even though he's been a Cardinal guy for some time now. This is this is a really strange move. I did not see this coming, and um, you wonder would they have done this if they hadn't won 17 in a row? Why did they do it now? They said the year left on your contract we want to give you a chance to you know go somewhere else that type of thing but that's a very strange move you just don't see a team that wins 90 games makes the playoffs has a, a finish like they did fire the manager mike schilt was shocked and so were a lot of other people awesome stuff tim enjoy the game tonight i'm sure we'll have you back as the playoffs continue appreciate it. thank you sarah thank you jason see you guys soon
Awesome stuff from Tim Kirkshen, who joined us on the Goodyear Hotline. Don't forget the Road to the World Series goes through ESPN Radio. Catch all the postseason action presented by AutoZone on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz coming up. Weird college football. It's next, Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Chance will be done with this Kyrie Irving conversation anytime soon. His IG Live didn't really answer anything yesterday, probably provided more questions and answers. I'd like to see him sit down and have an actual back-and-forth conversation with an expert who could push him a little on what his stance is, what his, what his opinion is on any of this, because so far it's just been respect this, respect my personal opinion. But we asked you guys what you think is going to happen next for him. I put out a poll at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Uh, do you think Kyrie will play for any team at some point this season? 57.6% said no, 42.4% said yes. I also asked, do you think Kyrie will play for the Nets at some point this season? 62.6 said no, 37.4% said yes. And at Zufer UNH, hit us up on the Spain and Fitz uh, Nation and hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to say, after today's rambling message, if he folds and gets vaccinated for his salary, then someone or everyone should call him out for his hypocrisy. Uh, while others seem to believe because of the money, he will, of course, find a way to get vaccinated and play. Uh, yet to be determined still fits. But it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Uh, let's talk a little weird college football. Uh, the mm-hmm. story that brings me into this is the story that got us the news that Caleb Williams might be taking over the reins for Oklahoma because a college newspaper reporter found a spot on a public building where there was a balcony where he could look down into practice and see that Caleb Williams was taking more snaps with the ones than Spencer Rattler, who was a Heisman favorite. Of course, it was Williams who came in in their last game against Texas, put together an incredible comeback. What's more interesting, the fact that Caleb Williams might replace Spencer Rattler or the way that we found that out via the school newspaper and, of course, the uh, the ire of, of uh, head coach Lincoln Riley, who then shut down availability for all media. I mean, that to me is that, like, college football coaches are already so paranoid about everything that now I'm just imagining suddenly, like, there's going to be shields put up around every practice facility and they're going to have drones flying everywhere to make sure that a college reporter doesn't have a good pair of binoculars. So, you know, I love that portion of the, the – I mean – Caleb getting the opportunity, I think, makes sense. By the way, Spencer Rattler hasn't played well at all, and I think he's going to have to transfer somewhere to get another shot. So Caleb getting in, that actually makes some sense. Having somebody find out a, a spot on a hill where they can look down at practice, that to me is a level of awesome. <laughs> that, that, that's, I'm all in on all of that. Well, Caleb Williams was uh, was certainly in the zone. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. As I said today on Debatable, which you, by the way, can watch every weekday on the ESPN app, Facebook, YouTube, uh, ESPN's Twitter handle right around uh, 1230 Eastern. I said, you know, I- I'm excited for Caleb Williams if this works out for him. But I do think a lot of times the quote unquote swagger, the star appeal, the vibe that people get from this new quarterback is just mystery. It's just we don't know what you can do yet, so we're filling it in with the best possible scenario. That's not to take anything away from the freshman. It's merely to say that. 
Usually when you hear that just being in someone's presence, they have an aura and a swagger. That's usually right when you first are around them and learn about them. And eventually they make some mistakes and that kind of fades. I don't know for sure that he's the better option, despite the fact that Rattler seems more inconsistent. Yeah, I think at this point, you know, there's also a real question mark about Lincoln Riley, the quarterback whisperer. And you're not always going to get it right. Like not everybody's going to hit every time they're at the bat, uh, up at bat. But at some point, you have to look at Lincoln Riley and say, has he done the greatest job developing Spencer Rattler? I, I don't know, and I don't know which side of this this comes on, uh, but I, I think that there is some blame for Lincoln Riley, the always praised, you know, he's going to head to the NFL wonder coach. little bit here of a, the play calling hasn't been the best for Spencer, so I, I think there's a lot to this, and it, it hurts an Oklahoma team that, frankly, is in the middle of the college football playoff conversation and mm-hmm. believes they have a shot at the national championship, and I don't know that they do with, with what they have at quarterback. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking a little weird football. This is one of my favorite stories in a while. Chris Lowe just wrote about it for our dot com. An eighth year senior, Jared Folks of East Tennessee State, who is 26 years old. He is uh, when he was uh, playing college football for the first time at Temple in 2014. Some of his youngest teammates at ETSU were in the fifth grade. He's got two degrees. He's closing in on a third, his MBA. He is a full-fledged member of the workforce. He is a marketing coordinator for a credit union. And here he is playing college football Uh, for ETSU. By the way, they're 6-0 off to their best start since 1969. Nice. He leads the team with nine and a half tackles per game. He is bringing that grown man strength, right? And he is in his eighth year of eligibility. Uh, Injuries, surgeries, et cetera, all a part of it. But Fitz, I love this. I mean, the fact that this guy played against Saquon Barkley and is still playing college football, it's cool. If you got eligibility, it's kind of like J.R. Smith playing golf. Like, do do what you love. Oh, yeah, but in my mind, he looks like somebody out of National Lampoon's with a little, like, crop top and a belly hanging over, and he's a grown man with a beard, right. and he's got, like— He's blue this, from this, from old school. Oh, God, yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah. And, and everybody's a little uncomfortable when he walks into the room to party because at the end of the day, he is now a particularly oh, old man Oh, I didn't even think partying. about that. Oh, yeah, like, he's walking I went to a party. UCLA oh. party two years after I graduated college because there were these guys I met that were older— and they were on the volleyball team. And my friend and I walked in. We were like, oh, yeah, we can't do this. These people look 12. <laughs> we, I, and we were only like 22. But we were like, nah, it's too much. Okay. And, and I'll, I'll throw myself under the bus, by the way. And I'll relate this to the College Football Play of the Month. Everybody's seen, by the way, that's brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is heating up. Fans are hyped. Return to glory with fans by Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserved. The College Football Play of the Month was definitely Texas A&M getting the winning kick. Seth Small came up big as the kicker <laughs> and uh, kicked the winning nice. kick for well A&M. Uh, but the viral video that's gone out everywhere. And I was hosting mm-hmm. College Football Live today. And they said, we're going to show this video. And I was like, yeah, I've seen it a million times. And somebody said, yeah, it's his dad. It's the kicker's dad and the kicker's wife, I believe. And then yep. his mom is sitting down. I just thought that the young lady standing was also like his, you know, stepmom or something. I figured like in Whoa. the front row. She doesn't I just look figured, old. No, no, she doesn't look old at all. But I just, you know. It's, it's just like, why did you get married while no, you're no, still I, in college? No, that's I just what figured I, thought. The, the, I thought the old man and the, uh, like, I thought his dad and his wife were actually a couple. That's that's what it comes wow. down to. I thought, like, I thought, I thought, you know, wow. I thought they were a couple. Uh, no, it is his wife, Rachel yeah. Small, uh, yeah. his mom, Jenny yeah. Ann Small, uh, and her dad, Michael House. Um, 
I guess I just, is I just is presume like front row happening. with the, the college football. And Had I not said, seen it, that it was his wife, I would have assumed it was a sister or somebody. I don't think I would have married her to the older gentleman next to her. But I did think to myself, wow, why did you get married while you're still in college? No offense to anyone out there listening. I just think it's, you know, a little well, early. She, she did say in the at one point, she said during the video, you got this, babe. And that's yeah, what I was yeah. like, oh, like oh, stepmom. Yeah. It's like stepmom. No. There we go. Bitch, wrong. get a hold of your wrong. life. You're reminding me of when <laughs> my dad came out to visit me in L.A. And it happened to be uh, Valentine's Day weekend. And we went out to dinner and they kept, you know, treating us like a couple. And it was real gross. It, and it was L.A. So it was like, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that this is this is how things are going here. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, weird football continues. The weirdest thing to all of you who at the beginning of the season like to make declarative statements like, if they lose this game, that's it. They are out of the college football playoff. And I'm always like, but guys, what if a bunch of people lose games and things don't go exactly as you predicted them? And then we get to have this conversation 11 more times. And you're like, oh, no, Sarah, this is the one right here. We all know it. And here we are with Iowa number two. Y'all don't know what's going on. We never do. We just like to make it feel like every week is the most dramatic football ceremony ever to steal a line from The Bachelor. And listen, I get it. It's good for business. I just feel like every year when I'm like, listen, I don't want to make that kind of statement because I don't think that's the case because there's still a really good chance that someone could lose and the committee could still find a way to get them in. And y'all are yelling at me. So I just want to say that's the that's the least weird thing to me. And the weirdest thing to all of you is how the favorites are just not super favorites right now. Yeah, like I'm genuinely interested. The first rankings uh, release is going to be November 2nd. I am so interested to see what the committee does because I, I think if you put truth serum in everybody's arm and you said, hey, Alabama, one loss, all these other teams, who do you think the second best team in the country is? I think they would all say Alabama. So all of a sudden is the committee who's charged with finding the four best teams going to put Alabama with one loss ahead of an, like, I think Iowa, uh, Iowa would get their butts beat by Alabama on a neutral field. So I, I just can't imagine the committee's going to put them at two. I just, I, I can't picture it. Maybe I'm wrong, but like when you start thinking about Cincinnati and Iowa, it's great stories, but the second best team in the country is Alabama loss or not. Well, in the end, I do think that Alabama, unless they take another terrible loss, is going to find their way. And that's just how the committee always ends up working. But plenty can happen between now and then. I think there's 13 undefeated teams right now in college football. So uh, uh, it it could go anywhere. Uh, And as we know, because L. Duncan has told us over and over, Georgia will find a way to blow it. They will (laughs) find a way to break the hearts of everyone in Georgia. Uh, Coming up, no show tomorrow. So we got to do our picks. I pick Thursday. Next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. And it's that time of the week. That time where you get to pull out the little pad of paper, get your phone out, maybe get one of those little fancy hats that you think people wear when they place a bunch of bets. You know, the little like visor hats, because it's time. I think that's just for poker, isn't it? I don't know. In my mind, I think that's like kinda... supposed to keep people from reading your eyes. Well, yeah. I don't, but don't think it like the, affects like the... your, I don't think people are like playing slots or like uh, going to the sports book with that. Well, I, you know, like when you're filling out the little, I don't know, Jake, our, our producer, he's the resident degenerate. Like, is there a little visor that you wear when you're out there placing the uh, the, the sports betting check? I, th- I threw Jake for a loop. I don't even know if Jake can talk to us. No. 
I think when, the, when I, think, I the, think of like a gambler's hat, I think about like horse racing, and I look feel like those little fedoras that like cover the eyes right. are very very. I think Fitz hats. is thinking about those poker visors that yeah, the little visors, so that, yeah, yeah, so that With they the uh, you can't see their eyes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, you know, in my mind, that's what that's what my gambler wears. The one thing I know is that I can't miss a single game because every time I go four and one, I lose ground. Sarah is that good. We do it every week. We make <laughs> our picks, and she is. Well, absolutely- we didn't do it last week, or maybe the week before. Four? No, we didn't do it last week. Because we, we haven't had shows in a while? We went to Vegas. Like, That's it's right. Not, That's it's right. Our, it's, it's Blame Vegas for everything. ESP <laughs> Radio, by the way, presented by Progressive Insurance. Protecting your small business is a big deal. Cover what you've worked so hard for. Visit ProgressiveCommercial.com. All right. It is that time. It's time for Five Pick Thursday? Thursday? All right. You know the drill. We're going to pick five games. We each have to pick our favorite team. These are straight up. And Sarah basically never misses. That's what you need to know at this point. Don't jinx me. Well, of course I'm going to try and jinx you. We're competing in this thing. Good (laughs) Lord. The last time, by the way, I said I felt confident about a Raiders game was in the elevator at Allegiant Stadium. And then we saw where that went. So it's been a rough week. I'll just, you know what, Sarah? Great for me. I'm going to go first, and I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to pick my favorite. I'm picking the Raiders to do the impossible wow. to beat the Denver Broncos. Why? Because I think the Broncos are just overhyped and haven't played. Yeah, anybody. why is that but the impossible? No, but everybody's going to come together. This is going to be a galvanized team. Uh, Basachi is going to have everybody ready to go. Suddenly this team comes out and says, hey, we will fight together as one, and we will be the Voltron that Jason Fitz needs in his right, life. Right, right. I appreciate I you teaching me how to say uh, whoever that guy's name is. Name. Basachi. Uh, yeah, that Basachi. we will be depending on to lead the Raiders in uh, this dark time. Uh, I guess if we're picking our teams, uh, I'll start with mine then. I, uh, I would love to be able to ride the Chicago Bears' big victory over the Raiders into a victory over their rival Green Bay Packers, who should have lost to the Bengals if not for those multiple missed field goals every time Cincinnati had a chance to win. But unfortunately, there is a good chance that Damian Williams might be out. Damian Williams, who is already leading the way for the Bears' run game because David Montgomery is out. And because of a COVID test, he might be unavailable he was a massive part of the run game that got the bears the win over the raiders uh Khalil herbert looked good as well but i i think you need both of those guys uh both of those guys going back and forth and man a sixth round draft pick out of virginia tech being the leader of your of your running core uh ryan Nall and artavis pierce who's on the practice squad i gotta go with the green bay packers unfortunately yeah, I I actually picked this game also, and for the you same reasons mother. I took I did I, I I'm picking against the Bears in this one. I, it's just I feel better a, about it already. It's such a bad matchup at this point. You know, it's no offense. I, I want mm-hmm. the Bears to mm, sure you do. Um, sure Moving not, on, but, okay. my next pick. Since we are picking on a Thursday, that does open up the possibility of picking Thursday night football. And I think the 4-1 and one Buccaneers are going to beat the Eagles. Not just straight up, but I actually think they're going to cover. Mina Kimes thinks that, is it cover if you're the favorite or is it, I don't know. Either way, the Eagles are not going to cover the 6.5 or 7, whatever it is. I think the Bucks are going to win by more than a touchdown. I just think that they have too many opportunities to dice you up. And Jalen Hurts might be a little bit nervous with this big stage uh, and not be able to do what's needed, which would be a Herculean effort in order to, help his team past a much better Bucks team. So I'm taking the Bucks. Yeah, you know what? I probably should have taken that game, but I wasn't smart enough to think of that. So <laughs> I'm going to go with the uh, every week I pick the side of game day. The side of game day 
this uh, week. They're back in Georgia uh, for the second time, I think, in three weeks, game days out in Athens. So uh, Georgia taking on an undefeated Kentucky team, and uh, that's that's awesome. But the undefeated Kentucky team I'm now calling Ken Lucky because they've had every one of their games, but one has been a one-score game, and they've found a way to win, which is great. But that's not going to work against the best team in the country. I think Georgia is going to absolutely decimate, destroy, and embarrass Kentucky. So I think Georgia wins this game by like three touchdowns at least. Might even be more than that. So I'm I'm taking Georgia confidently over them. All of that sound that we can bring back if that doesn't happen, too. You really dug yourself a hole with your... That's what I do. Nobody's better at digging a hole than this guy. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Since we are off tomorrow because of baseball, we're giving you our five-pick Friday tonight. My next pick is... The Rams over the Giants. Listen, the Giants are a team that has a lot of question marks. Even before they've got Saquon Barkley out with an injury, Daniel Jones concussed. Joe Judge, not really sure what his team's doing since he said yesterday in a press uh, availability, you know, Daniel Jones can be out here watching, but it's not like he could suit up or anything. And then one of the reporters said, uh, he's suited up and in pads. Whoop. Uh, so not being able to keep track of your own guys and just being a much worse team than the Rams, I'm going to go ahead and take the Rams. Yeah, this was the easiest one, I think, for the week for me. Rams over Giants uh, just speaks to, uh, no matter what the Giants are doing at this point, they're not the version of the Giants they want to be, but the Rams are just really stinking good. And I'm not going to let the one loss to the Cardinals suddenly cause me to overreact to what we've seen from the Rams. I still think mm-hmm. that uh, ultimately the Rams will be the NFC Super Bowl participant. So I'm sticking with the Rams over the Giants. All right, my next pick is going to be Buffalo over Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee has looked better, right? Derrick Henry ran for three touchdowns and they routed the Jags, but it was the Jags. Uh, They've beaten (laughs) divisional competition for two of their three wins, which isn't saying much. They're three and two after five weeks. Sure, leading the division, but it's not saying much. Meanwhile, you've got a Bills team that is a juggernaut. Uh, other than that opening weekend loss to the Steelers, which I think was just a, a fluke, the Bills haven't scored fewer than 35 points in each of their last four games. Tennessee defense can't stop much of anything. I'm taking Buffalo. Yeah, that's actually a, a really good pick by you, too. But I took Thank one you. I think that's out there even easier. Dallas, the Cowboys going to route the Patriots. This one's simple. I don't believe in the Patriots, and I do believe in the Cowboys. And at some point, we're going to just have to acknowledge that no matter what the failings of the Cowboys have been in the past several years, this year's version of this team is really stinking good. The defense is better than anybody thought that they would be early on. Uh, Parsons looks like the defensive rookie of the year, and Dak is playing the way I fully thought Dak would play. So the Cowboys are a really good football team. The Patriots, breaking news, are not. So I'm going to take the Cowboys in a not a not an easy but not a difficult game. Like by the fourth quarter, Cowboys fans are sitting back having a cold one. I actually picked this one as well, uh, despite the Patriots snapping their two-game skid. Uh, it was against the Texans, right? It, not saying much to me about what kind of team they are. They do have the benefit of being at home, and sending a team in against Bill Belichick at home always gives me a little bit of pause. But Dallas so far five and zero against the spread. This is a team that has showed up in each of its games. Uh, after that season-opening loss to the Bucks, they've won four in a row. Their offense has been absolutely electric. 
But I just don't think the Patriots are a good enough team yet. I also think what you're going to need out of your rookie quarterback in Mac Jones is going to be a lot if you want to try to keep up with what we know we're going to get from the Cowboys offense. So I'm taking the Cowboys. Look at that. We had a lot of agreement this week, which is good. Well, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. We both been. Uh, I mean, it's good because I'm ahead of you in terms of numbers. So if we both get the same ones wrong, then. Yeah, I'll that's, stay ahead of you. That's, I should have really rethought that strategy. Right. I, it's a little I, too early for you to be hedging to try to keep up with me. I think you should still go with your heart. Later is when you start to just try to play some games to try to catch up. And this thing's going to turn around right now. That's what I, uh, I wow. can't even say okay. that with confidence. I mean, I I you can't. don't really need to turn around. You're doing great. Four and one almost every week is great. It's just that I'm better. That's that is the story of my life. That's what they're going to put on my tombstone. All right, those are our picks. You did great. It's just Sarah did better. Uh, in, in the meantime, we've got some other NFL news we want to get everybody caught up on. So we're going to do it the way only this show can. Quickies coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests joined us on the Goodyear Hotline. We were talking about Kyrie's IG live last night, which thankfully I did not waste my time watching live because I was watching actual good basketball, WNBA Finals Game 2, Game 3 tomorrow night. But we played a couple clips. We asked people if they thought he'd be playing for the Nets anytime this year or maybe playing for any team anytime this year. We got some good responses, a lot of people voting. But I think this was my favorite, and I agree, because uh, this person hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed uh, with a little news from Spain and Fitz Nation at Bill Gordon 916 I'm pissed that there's no I don't give a bleep option, uh, which I think is how a lot of people feel. Uh, That checks out. I apologize. Listen, I don't really want to belabor the topic either, but worth noting, uh, he is a superstar player on the NBA championship favorite or one of the favorites. So at least now, while it's still getting figured out, we're going to talk about it. Eventually, games will start, and if he's not in them, we probably won't care much unless the Nets are getting absolutely rocked. And everyone is asking whether or not he will change his mind and decide to step up and play alongside the teammates, especially the ones that he essentially brought to Brooklyn. But here I am talking about Kyrie again. We don't need to do that. Let's talk NFL with some quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. One of the big stories today in the NFL was just a bad look for the Washington football team. And as it turns out, Fitz, um, it probably isn't as bad as it looked Washington football team announcing that they were going to have a jersey retirement ceremony for Sean Taylor, one of the few players in the franchise's history to earn that honor. He, of course, was one of the best defenders in the league, died after being shot during a robbery attempt at his house. He was only 24. He is very beloved and remembered fondly in this league. Perfectly great and wonderful for them to honor him. But when they announced it today, everyone thought that they were essentially trying to cover up or move on a public uh, conversation from the investigation into their team that was brought back up again with John Gruden's emails and folks from the team and also folks who used to play for the team have said, we got asked a month ago or a couple weeks ago to be a part of this. This isn't something they cooked up this week, but just the timing of it all didn't look great. The Washington football team president, Jason Wright tweeted out, we wanted to do something long overdue by retiring players numbers Months ago, we planned for Bobby Mitchell and Sean Taylor to be the first two. Seeing the reaction, I'm very sorry that the short notice does not properly reflect the impact Sean had and talked about how it just didn't end up coming out right. Fitz, I'm glad we heard that because it did feel like kind of a, a PR shield for all the other garbage going on. Yeah, and, and you know, at some point, even if it's not, it's still something the team could be handling better, should have right. handled better. And these are the moments, too, where a little transparency goes a long way. I mean, 
again, I don't own an NFL team, so what do I know? But if I did, I, I think I would use this opportunity to come out and be like, hey, I know what you guys think. Nope, not the way it went down. Like, just that that one simple statement would have done something. But instead, we've spent all day, you know, yelling, screaming, and speculating. Yeah, agreed. I don't know if you do that right off the bat. I don't know how you do this. I think it's part of just, you know, taking your lumps because you've been a brutally terrible franchise that's been tainted by scandal almost the entirety of Dan Snyder's ownership and the entirety of you having the name that you did. So you kind of have to just suck it up and eat it because people are going to presume that most of what you're doing is not necessarily coming from a good place, and you kind of earn that. Uh, Moving on. Quickies. I mentioned this. uh, The Bears not the only team to be dealing with COVID, though I mentioned that Damian Williams' status is up in the air because of his Uh, being in the COVID-19 protocols. Uh, The Cardinals uh, football team has three positive COVID-19 tests this week, Uh, a player and two staff members, which means a bunch more testing and protocols for a handful of players and personnel, one player, two staff members. So that means all sorts of people now getting put into protocols and having to figure that out before a big game. The Cardinals have one of the best games of the weekend um, against a a good Cleveland Browns team. So uh, Chandler Jones is going to have to have two negative tests, 24 hours apart and be asymptomatic for 48 hours. If he's going to get to go and Fitz, you just have to hope that you don't find in the next day or two more popping up uh, in terms of positives. Yeah. This is when everybody sort of takes a step back and you say, okay, what, what we don't want is any sort of a perception of super spreader, right? Like the one thing you've got to say is can, can we get the testing under control and get everybody isolated in a way uh, that allows still to play the game, you know, and that, that's got to be the, the, every time we see one case, I just sit there and say, okay, is it one case or are we going to end up with 15, mm-hmm. you know, and that's always the concern I think for most of us when you see it. According to Josh Weinfuss of ESPN on the dot com, they are one positive away from intensive protocols, which I guess means that four is the number that pushes you forward and uh, requires more than, uh, more than uh, just uh keeping track of and finding out the contact tracing for those players who are a part of it. All right, next story. Quickies. Uh, This story I I saw that I thought was funny. I don't know if you saw it, but we're so used to players criticizing refs. Lamar Jackson actually gave a shout out to a ref for the roughing call in Monday night's game. He was so (laughs) thankful to get his first roughing the passer penalty in almost two years, by the way, that he gave a shout out to the referee land Clark for calling it. After practice, he said, Mr. Clark, I appreciate that call. I remember his name. And, of course, he does because he finally got one of those uh, rough-in-the-passer penalties. It had been 620 dropbacks since he got that call. That's alarming to me. But also, (laughs) though, the one thing I'll say is that because he's so slippery and so hard to hit, there are times that it just – I can't tell. And then you see the replay afterwards and you think, oh, that was was rough. He's not wrong that I think other quarterbacks that are less mobile and less athletic – would get more of the calls. It's just in the in the heat of the moment. Sometimes it's hard to see. I I've, I genuinely feel for the officials. So hopefully this is right. you know the beginning of a, a a trend where they're figuring out a better way to officiate him. Sometimes when you are very special and very unique, it can both benefit you and hurt you. I think you look at someone like Steph Curry, who's probably not going to be affected as much by the NBA's new focus on whether you're leaning into fouls or jumping into defense. I just think again, you meant you said the word slippery. He's going to get away with that probably more than someone like Luca because of his body. You look at someone like Shaq who didn't get all the calls that he should have because his body was so big and it just felt like he could get hit over and over and refs just didn't treat it the same as someone else. You look at last night's game, 
Brittany Griner, every time she got the ball, there was a late whistle, and they acted like she'd been fouled when half the time she didn't get touched. It was just, uh, anyway, I've gone off on a tangent because I'm still frustrated about the terrible officiating <laughs> last night. It's Spain and Fitz. That was NFL quickies. Uh, we are out of here early tonight because of baseball. Uh, we've got just one game, all eyes on Dodgers and Giants. And we talked to Tim Kirkson earlier, and he said, listen, man, this is going to be a very tough game to predict. Exactly 109 wins for each of them. Almost the same run differential. Everything coming down to this. But an interesting angle on it was to hear what the players might be feeling. It, it's not as big as a World Series Game 7 or something like that. But after a season like this, fighting tooth and nail to get here, to win the division, to make it, etc., there is a lot in these players' minds. And Hunter Pence, two-time World Series champion, was on Freddie and Fitzsimmons last night talking about what's going on in their brains as they approach this. It's a that's, long that's... day. And, there we go. And you're just like, you're in your, your feelings, you're in your thoughts, you're in your focus. You, you're like, you're inventing all sorts of new things. Like, first, you, the, that's why it's the most important to just stay relaxed. And I, I swear, uh, Freddie and Fitz, a month in the playoffs feels like a year's worth of life lived. It's like wow. that much pressure, that much stress. Like every day takes forever. You cannot wait for the game to start. And you're just like over preparing, overlooking at everything. It's all you eat. It's all you breathe. It's all you sleep. It's all you think. Yeah, that's what they're feeling right now. And that's what a lot of the fans of these two teams are feeling too. It's coming up. The wait's finally over. ESPN Radio's broadcast of game five of the NLDS between the Giants and Dodgers starts right now. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. We'll talk to you next week. Have a great weekend too. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.